Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now. Here's Pastor Raphael. We'd like to invite to our Spirit Watch Ministries virtual studios um, a lady by the name of Christy, been someone that uh, we've gotten to know over the past several months in our researches and looking into the doings of Gladstone. And um, she's uh, agreed to come on and help tell her side of the story and her time being there uh, within the community. And um, as, as, we, as we've always wanted to do, we've always wanted to try to get uh, the accounts from those who were there, who experienced them. And that's always the best way to learn about things is actually from those who've been there. So, Christy, welcome to our, to our, our podcast today. And uh, we, we, I'm so glad you, you uh, were agreed to, to come on to us here today. Thank you, Raphael. I'm glad to be here. All right. Well, tell us a little about yourself in the days before you became affiliated with the Glassstone community. What were you doing and uh, what drew you uh, to it? Well, I mean, I've been involved with them 12, 13 years, but I moved in five years ago and I lasted two years. Okay. Out three. Okay. All right. So five years, five years ago, put you at 2017. That's when you, that's when you, you, yeah. You got involved, you, you you first moved in, saw everything, and you left after three years, you say? Is that right? I lasted two years. Two years. So right around 2019, 2020, you were, you were gone. You are out of there. Yep. Well, my son got involved first. Um, our family had gone through a very traumatic event. My husband had sustained a traumatic brain injury, and they thought he was going to die. Um, so we had um, – he got – incredible miracle um he was very 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 bad and um but he's doing great now and he was within six months but um and in that time Sebastian was not only going through that he was going through a lot of other things um literally his whole life was falling apart around him he was going through a lot of emotional um difficulties uh, breakups and things like that and he actually ran into a friend, Tyler, and this is part of his testimony, by the way, but he ran into a friend, Tyler. Tyler invited him to um, the Gladstone Bible Studies, and I was very preoccupied with Tom and his healing and getting him to all of his appointments and my three other children um, and helping them heal and all of that stuff from what we had just been through, and um, so I didn't really focused too much on Sebastian. I knew at that point he wasn't drinking, he wasn't doing drugs, and he wasn't having, uh, he didn't have like an immoral sex life at that point. Um, so I just kind of like, he's safe and he's good. Um, but then after the brain injury, like he, there was after the healing, um, I decided I needed to know more about this because 
um, there were a, a few red flags at the time, like Sebastian, he didn't come to our house very often. And like I said, we were going through a lot as a family. He didn't come very often, but when he did, he always brought somebody with him. Mm. Um, I decided it was, it was kind of, it was kind of weird because we were going through so much as a family to have people that we didn't even know, um, in this, it was, it was difficult, but I will say that the men that he brought, um, it was Alex, Eric Krauss and, um, the other Eric, they were really, really kind. They were, um, they were wonderful at that time. They were really great. And, um, so, um, when things started, you know, like I said, got better, um, the, my husband flew back to New Orleans to work again and, the other kids and I, we started going to um, worship with them on Sunday mornings, and we went to the Bible study on Thursday nights. Um, at that time, it was in the in the house, and we were all shoved in there like sardines. But it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. Right, right. The people were, yeah. It seems a lot of churches apparently were quite impressed by that public image. I mean, Gladstone was conveying this image that it was just this radical band of enthusiastic young men and women who were just covenanting to live for Jesus, just the early church. And that's what it seemed to be like, didn't it? Absolutely. And um, I was actually still Catholic at the time. and um, But when I went there, these people, they loved Jesus with everything that they had. They wanted to serve one another. Um, they were so wonderful to me and my kids. They were welcoming. They were so loving. Um, it was, it was really great. Uh, Monica and Vicki, after a Christmas party, they talked to me for hours. And that night is when I decided to lay down my life and make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior, um, and start following him. And, um, they discipled. They discipled me. I ended up getting baptized. Um, I had water baptism and baptism in the Holy Spirit there. Um, I had some more traumatic events come up, and Monica and Vicki were amazing, um, helping me walk that out biblically, uh, just being for, there for me and my family. They would um, help pick up my younger kids from school and um, take them into community, and they loved them well. Amber was such um, Amber was such an amazing woman to have in my kids' lives. Uh, so it was great. Back in those early days, it was really, really wonderful. Right, right, and that's what I'm hearing from all accounts. You know, at one time was a very uplifting and and and, and very very. Uh, light-filled place, you know, and, and, out of, and out of that, you know, they brought together a communal lifestyle in which everybody was together, uh, constantly pulling for one another and laboring for one another. And, you know, so uh, that communal lifestyle was one of the distinctive practices, as well as the common purse teaching that, you know, which, which is when everyone's income and means are pulled together for support of the group, you know. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And at the heart of it all was 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 the leadership of Zach Kaczynski, who was the le- leading elder of there, and and uh, your son Sebastian and others who were governing it. So, uh, 
they mandated, you know, like, like I said, a, a virtually immersive living experience. And to young men and women who want to feel something authentic, I'm sure that's, that really was uh, a great laboratory for faith, wasn't it? Oh, it was, it was great. I mean, it was following the Lord and biblical teaching and glorifying him and serving one another. And it was 24 hours a day. Um, it seemed to be the perfect Acts 2 church. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was really great. Um, even when I moved away from Cincinnati, my husband got transferred, uh, to Western Kentucky. And even when we moved down here, I, you know, I couldn't wait until Friday morning because the Thursday Bible teaching would have been uploaded to SoundCloud or it was on their website at that time. Um, I would listen to it on Friday mornings and, you know, with my Bible and sometimes multiple times. And then on Sundays, I would do the same thing. Um, and I just, you know, I just couldn't get enough. I had a local church here. Uh, they were, I, I was blessed to find an amazing local church, but I still stayed very connected to community. Um, some of the women, um, we talked weekly, if not multiple times a week. Uh, we were there were some women in there um, that we were very, very close. Right. They would be your spiritual moms, and then, then they would actually be people that you look to as as being, you know, the ones who, who, who mothered you in the faith. Yeah, and then it sort of kind of changed, and since of, I'm older than most of the people in community, um, the Lord blessed me with the um, the ability to sort of mother and nurture them. Uh-huh. Right. And so you began to reciprocate. Right. You you actually felt mm-hmm. like you were pouring yourself back into it where you could. And I understand, like you said, as we, as we talked, that you, you, you got your own passion for discipling and evangelism. Absolutely. Um, I started out in jail ministry here. And, um, and what was wonderful is even in Cincinnati and community, they would be praying for the people that I was serving in the jail. Um, they were very encouraging. Um, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. I could call them and say, hey, listen, I need a prayer for this woman. She's going through this. And a big group of people would just stop what they were doing and pray for a person in Western right. Kentucky that they had never met. Right. And so I was wow. very connected to them through that, throughout that whole time. Right. Things just seemed to be going well then. And this was, like I said, back in the day you were in which, you know, they he started the Bible study back in 2007. And at that point, the... Uh, the impetus towards the developing a communal life in which homes were were purchased and and the community was set up and, and the common purse was 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 began to be be put out. Uh, it just seemed like it was it was like you said a, a, the New Testament church in action and and I'm sure that they you know, they felt that and and certainly felt that that they were calling people to to that kind of standard. So um, there was a point at which you said in which things just seemed to change and um, and mm-hmm. and that and that unfortunately seems to be the case in just about any group like Gladstone which uh, sets forth just high ideals and then starts to fall short of them in some way. And what, what what was that point you that you recognized and in which this sadly this this turn seemed to be more and more real. Well, unfortunately, um, I didn't realize, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. Um, I didn't really completely realize what was going on while I was living in Kentucky and they were in Cincinnati because um, I didn't live with them. And right. so I didn't, 
yeah, so I wasn't experiencing the everything. I, I do know at one point, um, they believed that they had been, um, being controlled or led by, I'm not sure the wording they used, by the Kundalini spirit and not the Holy Spirit. Um, and so they decided to repent from that. Um, and at the same time, around that same time, they were also becoming more um, active in more of a program. The Lazarus program is where they, t- you know, bring in um, people that ha- are struggling with drug addiction and things like that. Um, up until that point, I remember, you know, Sebastian came to family events or whatever with some man that was struggling, whether he's detoxing or um, or whatever. But they just basically stayed connected to Sebastian. And it was, it was extremely effective. Um, it was just like a family, but then they started training and looking at other models of like rehabilitation programs and things like that. And things did start changing at at that point. I'm not really sure exactly what the catalyst was or if it was just a perfect storm or there, you know, after listening to Scott and some other people, there might've been some things going on in community but because i wasn't living there i was completely unaware of right but there was definitely a change zach's a gifted charismatic guy who who knows how to how to how to talk the talk and act like he walks the walk uh he's he's a he's a gifted person organization he has ambition to lead he's and he has been leading and apparently he's been incrementally getting smarter and smarter and knowing how to do that. And in so doing, you know, he's gotten more sophisticated. He's, he's learned that the Christianese, he knows yes. what, what the, what the, what the, what, how the church, uh, structures ministry by being around the people at North, at, at, uh, North Point, um, mm-hmm. or North Star, uh, <laughs> uh, and Mary Mott. Mary Mott. He's watched them do ministry. He's watched them, uh, try to penetrate a community and, and do so in a way that's, that's, you know, a wholesome and, and affirming. Yet at the same time, though, he very, uh, very cleverly knows that, uh, that he can, he can gain a hearing. He can gain, uh, support. By appearing to uh, by appearing to be totally devoted, totally zealous in that exact same form, when uh, when really all along it seems to me that that both both um, both churches probably looked at him as this young angelic, young Keith mm-hmm. Green type figure, and thinking he's well, we got a young firebrand evangelist, and we're, let's let's just do what we can to mentor him and lift him up. And at the same time, he knew what he was doing; he was using them. I believe so. And I did not believe that until like a year ago, honestly. Um, I I believe that Zach started out good and turned. Um, but my personal belief, and I, and I respect if somebody doesn't believe the same way I do, but my personal belief after everything that I've heard and the damage that he's done to people, that I believe that he is innately evil and he has had a plan from day one. Yeah. It certainly would seem that way to me. I mean, I mean, uh, he seems to have a, there's just this incrementally, like you said, there was a point in which, like I said, he turned and decided to just, just put, just throw the veil down, as they say, and really just go in and open up and be what he wanted to be. And then, and, then, and he just got tired of hiding it. And he, yeah. he was at a point where, where he didn't have to worry about that. He didn't have to worry about hiding anymore. 
You didn't have to worry about no. plumbing. He, he had, he had all the, he's got all the drones at, at community there just ready to go ahead and, and do as, 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 as he advises them. Right. Um, we've kind of coined the term at this point, the send police. Um, it became more about calling each other out in sin, um, making people's lives very uncomfortable. So they were forced to cling to Jesus. Um, yeah, it, there was a lot more fear developing, uh, shame, things like that. Um, that, you know, just the people that I was talking to were experiencing more of that. Um, honestly, I did not. I had no clue when I moved into community um, where they were at. And I got red flags very early on, though. Right. And it seemed to be centering around, like you said, this this very strident kind of domineering uh, demand for submission and obedience directly to the rule of, of the elders and those in charge, right? Right. Um, and I really because they had been such a big part of my life and my discipleship, I believed that that's what was biblical is that if I was not willing to submit, even if I thought it was, if I didn't agree with them or whatever, if I wasn't willing to submit, then I must be being disobedient to the Lord because that's how it's sort of set up. If you're, if you're not in agreement with leadership, and that's kind of tricky, too, because different leaders uh, from different levels are telling different people what to do and different things. And you're trying to figure out who to submit to because I wanted to be obedient to the Lord and I wanted to submit to um, to authority. And it was just very it was very difficult to figure right. out, you know, who that was. Right. You you were recognizing that, you know, there are, of course, you know, uh, mandated forms of, of, of authority within, within any church structure. And, and you, you, and you can't have a, you know, a community without leadership of some sort. You know, it's, it just sounds to me like what you were describing is, is, is something that, uh, was coming about more as an act of, uh, of people wanting to have others set in their place as opposed to, uh, letting more of a divine order like the Holy Spirit lead people into where they should be. And, and regardless of how you felt about that anyway, it sounded like it just became more and more uh, coercive and controlling. They were actually forcing you and saying they're forcing you to, to accede to their demands. And then at the same time, you were being told that this was God's leadership and this was his voice speaking through the elders and others. And that, that that's something that you really needed to just obey and not question. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and before I had gone there, I'd actually had a long discussion with Zach and it was extremely refreshing. He's, and he had told me, um, uh, very clearly in that conversation that, you know, if somebody disagrees with me and they can support their, their point or their belief or what it is that they want to do biblically, he goes, even if I disagree with them, I will help them walk that out biblically. So that's what I was expecting. That you had, you know, iron sharpens iron. There was going to be freedom there to um, discuss theology, uh, to discuss doctrine in a loving, caring way with, in a search for truth, um, and biblical truth. That's not actually how that works. Yeah. And um, that there is not a freedom to question doctrine or theology. Um, you, you understand very quickly that that's not a discussion to have. Right. 
And that's when your eyes began to open a little bit more to the change. And that, 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 that what was that, that, that kind of, so that kind of leadership wasn't what you saw initially. I mean, you, you just saw a bunch of people wanting to help one another. And now, now, now you saw something entirely different. Oh, yeah. The, um, they controlled every, um, every minute pretty much of, um, the schedules were so tight. Um, I think we had to get up, um, and it was like mandatory spend time with the Lord for a half an hour and then go to the church um, for prayer and Bible reading. And then it was mandatory. You had to eat breakfast with your house at seven. And then most people started work at eight. And I mean, there's no way I could get everything done that I needed to get done at the homeschool by 530. So, um but then you had, you know, it was, it was mandatory that you had to eat dinner at least most nights of the week with your house. Um, and then you had to be at prayer at nine o'clock that night. And that was at least Monday through Friday. And then eventually, um, Saturdays also became wow. a mandatory work day. And then they told you where you were going to work. And then Sundays were pretty much filled up between church and lunch and, um, and then that's also when, as a group, it was mandatory in your house to do all the cleaning and the shopping and all of that. And then you had house night. I don't remember what it was called, but you had to stay with your house and have dinner and play games or whatever it is. So Sundays were pretty much all scheduled out as well. Uh, so like you said, it was, it was immersive 24 hours a day, seven day a week living experience. Well, of course, in a community that's living communally, uh, that's mm-hmm. going to be expected. And, and of course, there's going to be that kind of, uh, of, uh, programming, I guess, but, but it sounded like it was pretty rigid, uh, that everybody was expected and not, it wasn't an option. Everyone was expected, uh, to be a part of that ongoing, continual, everyday flow. Does that, that sound right too? Oh, absolutely. Um, I will say that I didn't, I mean, I got my, my share of correction, probably more so than a lot of people, but most people didn't know that I was getting, how I was getting corrected and rebuked. Um, but I will say that like other people, um, like it, it sounds like it's optional to go to morning service every, every day. Uh, but if you started missing, um, you would get, I mean, they would get confronted and they would have a long conversation about, you know, submission and that type of thing. So, um, the schedule, it wasn't, it wasn't optional and it was very difficult for me because, um, I do love street evangelism and, um, and you kind of have to be available to those, those women on the streets. Um, they don't, they don't have a schedule. And so, um, it, it was really, really difficult for me. Um, because I believed, at, and at one point this was true for community, that people worked with the gifts that God had given them. And with the whole idea of, you know, every different, every part of the body is important. And so I was under the understanding. So it, I, I believe that God gave me the gift of evangel, evangelism and, um, and teaching and discipling women. And I wasn't being able to work within that very much. Um, Terry, a really good friend of mine, the Lord had freed her from a 35-year crack addiction, 
And she and I, you know, we took every moment we could to be out on the streets um, evangelizing, which was, it was beautiful. It was just becoming more and more mm-hmm. difficult because when I give you this schedule, it didn't happen all at once. It was like, not like every single month, but there would go, you know, something would be revealed. Like you absolutely have to have breakfast with your family, with your housemates at seven o'clock. Okay. Um, and then like a, a few months later, oh, now we want you, everybody has to be at nighttime prayer at nine o'clock at night. Well, that's really difficult when you're evangelizing, evangelizing on the streets because nine o'clock at night, that's, that's prime time. Um, right. So these things were gradual, even how they um, took over, like, look, how many clothes you could have and all of that. This was this was like a gradual process. Like once the dust would die down after, you know, one new roll, then the next one would come out. Right. So it was incremental. It was gradually yes. introduced. And, and that mm-hmm. was something that you saw just as you entered uh, the community itself. Is that right? Yes. Zach isn't the one that's really big into like evangelism and bringing in the drug addicts and things like that. That is, I mean, I think Sebastian and I have very similar giftings in that. That's Sebastian and BBK. And I, cause I can tell you, I know I've heard Zach do it. He thinks that those drug addicts on the streets are just disgusting low life perverts. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so like one time there was this guy, um, he, he was like, he pushed the mower everywhere and he was a heroin addict and he was older and he was, he was, I mean, he was a pervert, you know, he said bad things to women and stuff. And, um, Zach looked at me and he goes, that low life just needs to get away. He is a pervert. He's disgusting. I said, well, actually I've been sharing the gospel with him. And he just looks at me like, what? And do you know, it took a year and a half, but before that guy died, um, he accepted Jesus, he repented, and was baptized. It was hard to say that it was wrong because, like, a lot of people looking into community, you're seeing people go to India and serving the orphanage with, you know, children that had been sex, sex slave trade. Um, people going to Guatemala, serving churches there, Mexico, serving orphanages there. Um, I mean, Sebastian's even gone, and I don't think I'm really allowed to say where he went, but he was serving in a very, um, a refugee camp with, um, serving Muslims and things like that. Um, so, and you, it's, so it's hard to, I mean, gradually as these new things come it's like you'll accept them because they're doing so much work for the lord does that make sense oh right because they they believe that this is this is their way of living it out uh, this is a structure that god's told them to live by right yes right yes. so they were really active uh the elders and others and just a lot of people in general we're we're we're, we're be actually being going out and and being involved in in parachurch conventional missions organizations as well, right? Absolutely. Um, in the beginning, um, for years, they were very involved in even um, other international mission um, mission trips uh, with other um, with other churches and things like that. Um, they were also involved in River City Ministries, their uh, Teen Challenge. 
a lot of the local minis- uh, ministries as well. Um, right. That all seemed to die away, though. Right. But isn't that where they began to draw people from, uh, people who were, who they felt that they could help in recovery? Because uh, that was where your heart was, too, right? I mean, you were helping people uh, to get Absolutely. through their trauma, and, and you had a heart for that, and that was something that uh, Gladstone seemed to also have an interest in. And, uh, and then that's what, what the Lazarus ministry there was about, right? Yes. And that was super exciting to me because, um, when I was in Western Kentucky, we were always trying to figure out where to place these women, um, how to get them to a safe place, whether because of abuse, traffic, sex trafficking, drug abuse, whatever it was, um, getting them into rehabs or, you know, getting them safe. Um, and getting them on the journey of following Jesus and healing. So when I went there, it was super exciting that they already had these. And these rooms, these Lazarus rooms are beautiful. And they have like a little living area, um, a bedroom with two beds and a nice bathroom, everything brand new. And they were really beautiful. So it was really exciting to have a place and to have a um, a huge group of people also supporting what was going on. Um, I was so blessed, uh, in the beginning, I, um, I had this woman that wanted, you know, she needed help and she was a, a severe alcoholic and drug addict. And we know that coming off of alcohol can be deadly. And, um, she had also been sex trafficked and, and it was somewhat close to community. So we needed to get her into a safe place. And so, um, Jeremy, who was running the Lazarus program actually rented a hotel close to a hospital um, for her and me and, um, another girl from community came along to pray. Um, so we could be close to a hospital if it was necessary and also, um, to keep her safe and from her traffickers until we could get her into teen challenge the next day. So those beginning days when I first got there, I was, I was just overwhelmed with the support and so incredibly grateful. So you had all these people, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you had all these people who were being funneled from all these rehab, rehabilitation ministries like Teen Challenge, other places like that. All these people coming to, to there hoping to find this haven of rest. And, and being basically told, well, we're glad you're here, but, uh, but, you know, but uh, keep that to yourself. This, this is no longer, this is, this is not an issue for, for us to be concerned about. They started, um, they had Brandy be like a counselor. And I will tell you, I know Brandy had no training. And the, the only training she got, the only training she got is that came in and plopped on the table in front of her, three college textbooks, psych 101 books. It did. It was all secular too. It didn't even have anything to do with biblical counseling. And that was the counseling. That was as a level of counseling that that they approved there. Yeah, and um, and basically what Brandy did, and I didn't know this until Zach and I had our falling out, um, because I was talking to Brandy because I was having so many. What I thought was I was having so many problems of rebellion and fear. Zach yeah. uses those scriptures as as a means of control. You know, it, 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 they're they're like wep- that he weaponizes scriptural mandates about sacrifice and and and, and total commitment, and he, and he turns those things to make 
people realize that those are actually instructions for people to obey him explicitly. Some of the biggest accusations that they use for control is um, the accusation that you're in the sin of rebellion, you're in the sin of divisiveness, um, and you will not submit to authority. And you can go to First Peter, and you know you have to submit to authority. And I mean, I I still to this day I have to like remind myself, you know, because like because I'm like, did I? Because every once in a while, it'll hit me like, oh, my gosh, was did God really want me there? And I was supposed to submit because um, he was going to use me in a certain way. And then I was like, oh, no, 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 no. God made it very clear he wanted me to leave, you know? And I was like, but it, but it does, you know, because it's drilled into me, you know, and it's drilled into everybody there. Like, there's no freedom to question doctrine or theology because that means that you're you're not submitting to community and if you you know if you have something you know about somebody else you know and you need you know it's being divisive right and so they shut you up and i understand that those are all sins but if we put jesus in the middle middle and we wrestle through things iron sharpens iron in love then you're seeking truth you're not just disagreeing to be divisive but there, there's no dissent or you're being divisive. And I really believe that that's, you know, I believe that there's this thing that like when you, when your heart knows the truth and you're operating outside of that, I think that's when the severe anxiety and depression start setting in. Yeah, it's, it's totally understandable. When your point of, your point of authority is no longer with the spirit of Christ, if it's something else, it's always going to involve something other, something involved with, with, uh, human authority that's always, always sinful. I mean, that's yeah. how it is. A human authority is corrupt. It, no matter how, no matter how good it is, no matter how seemingly, uh, fallible, I mean, infallible or benevolent or nice it may be, human authority is always weak because it involves weak people. And, uh, and that's why churches, you know, and that's why cults like Glasso can exist because the leadership is based not on the spirit of Christ, but upon, but upon the obedience people blindly offer to the dictates of Zach and Sebastian and, and others who, who, who really have an agenda behind what they're, what they're asking people. So, and, and that's what, you know, that's why, that's why they can be called cultic because other movements like them do exactly the same thing. So, so you have this, this, this church, so-called, this community of people uh, attracting and wanting and inviting all these really deeply wounded people, but but none of these deeply wounded people, obviously, were getting any kind of, of the help. What about the men? We're, we're, I bet there were, I'm certain there were men who, of course, had besetting issues like like drug addiction. Well, we know that, but 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 right. no, well, but there was no level of counsel coming from within the group at all for them. They just kept telling them to go get help someplace else. Is that right? Well, there were, at one point, and that was before I moved in, there were three counselors, outside counselors, that they were using. Um, But they stopped using two of them because every single time they sent somebody there, that person ended up leaving. But then there's another guy, um, David Barr. And, but see, David Barr was getting anybody that so-called needed counseling. 
But if you went to counseling, you had to take somebody from leadership with you. So oh, my God, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then they reported back. And, but here's the kicker. And when I told that, confronted David Barr, because he goes to the church, David Barr flat out lied to and said, no, no, I don't let anybody in. They stay in the waiting room, but they don't come in the counseling session. Is Barr a counselor of some sort? Is he an elder? Or what, what, what does he do? How is he qualified to counsel? Who is he? Well, he's got the letters out of after his name. He makes $100 an hour off of community when people were going there. He was making a ton of money off of community. And, and I promise you, I promise you that Nobody went to counseling. Tasha maybe twice, but other than that, except for Gabrielle, my daughter, because I refused to allow anybody to go in with her, every single person that went to David had somebody from leadership with them. I believe you. Yeah, I believe you. But who is he? Is he a counselor or what? what, what is his position? Is he, he is a is, counselor, but he is, he's um, he is a, a licensed therapist. He is a but, therapist. Okay, so he is a licensed therapist. Yes. Okay. But he goes to Marymount Community Church. I'm, not, I'm just trying to understand the relationship here because right. so he was part of the group of people that apparently felt that they could lend their name towards providing assistance to the so-called ministry of Gladstone. And, and, and by doing so, he basically was legitimizing what they yes. were doing. Yes. Man. And he was perpetuating the abuse because he allowed, like, people that had trouble with community. I mean, people are, are getting broken by the minute there because they're being controlled and, you know, verbally abused, emotionally abused, spiritually abused. So they couldn't go to David Barr and get that stuff out because they had somebody from leadership sitting right there and they would get in trouble if they did. Man. And this guy lie out, lie to your face. You, 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 you know for a fact they lie to your face about he's a, he's a professional counselor allowing third parties into counseling sessions. That was that what you're telling me? That nobody comes in there. They sit in the waiting room. They do not come in. And I said, I am 100% sure that was an outright lie. Man, that's twisted. That's, that's pretty bad. No, it's not pretty bad. It's awful. It's abominable. I mean, it's, well, and he claims to be a Christian, a Christian therapist. Yes. Okay. Is he still doing this performance there? Now, I don't know if, if the community is still using him or not um, because they're sending um, Allie to school to be a psychiatrist. And they're using Rosie and Brandy in community. Rosie is for the guys. And Brandy's for the girls. And um, and then, like I said, they're sending Allie for psychiatry. So they'll keep it all in-house. Okay. Yeah. That, that's And that's, that's certainly understandable. I mean, you yeah. And the level of counseling uh, that was going on there at Gladstone of these people uh, that were, that were li- there. Uh, I mean, I, I know that, that uh, Gladstone was, obviously, you know, reaching out conventionally uh, to young men and women to draw them into the community. And then they were also reaching out to, to people struggling through their first days of, 
of post-recovery life, leaving places like Teen Challenge and, and other places like that, uh, and that right. Gladstone you know, made room for them. Uh, but uh, the counsel they received, though, was initially, from what you're telling me, quite helpful and, and quite uh, quite uh, focused upon them. But but then you, in our past conversation, you indicated that that even seemed to change, and that the the, the counsel just seemed to turn in a very very dark direction. Right, and I think that was one of my biggest red flags. I don't know if it changed or I was living under an assumption that um, we would be addressing not only their physical needs and their spiritual needs, but also their emotional needs um, as they did this. Um, Most of these women have been through extreme trauma um, by the time that they get to the Lazarus program. And this is just one example. Um, there was one lady and she told me, so um, I don't know how other people believe, but I believe that like when God gives you a gift, he also brings you people. And so women, um, I had been wor- working with rape victims and abuse victims, either in the secular world or in within Christianity um, for 25 years. So um, women just naturally tell me some of the deepest, darkest things that they have gone through either in childhood or um, even as an adult. So um, (laughs) one girl told me, um, one lady told me, she said, um, Christy, I was um, gang raped before I came into community. And I said, in my heart, I was, I was crushed for her. And, um, she, I said, have you told anybody else? And she said, yes, I told somebody from leadership. And I said, and how have they addressed that? And she was told, well, you were on heroin when it happened. So you were in sin and the guys that gang raped you, they were also on heroin and sin. So it's a wash. So her needs um, to heal from that um, were never addressed. And even her physical needs, um, she had a lot of stomach issues, um, gastrointestinal issues. And it wasn't until she had been there for two years. um, And finally, I kind of got really insistent that she see a a GI doctor. Well, long story short, they did, um, they did a, colonostomy and she had she was torn very very badly um from the gang rape and it took two years to address those medical concerns um so obviously that was yeah that was that was horrendous honestly okay so oh my gosh this is unbelievable so you have a group of men who are claiming to be spiritual leaders in a place like Gladstone, and they're basically looking upon her physical injuries after an absolutely horrific, horrific uh, attack, violation, mm-hmm. and they're making her, they're blaming her basically for what happened to her and saying it's a wash. What was that supposed to mean? What, was that, what, what, what meaning was, were they trying to convey to her that was supposed to be helpful? Or instructive. What were they trying to say to her by saying that? You were in sin. And I, you know, I don't really know the heart of where that came from, but I'll tell you how she and any other woman that had been, has been through um, something like that, how they would receive that is it's my fault. Yeah. Yeah. And 
Yeah, and that's how she she also received it. So what you're saying is this is this wasn't an uncommon approach by glass elders to the the woundings of women or, 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 or I would assume men as well who've been through rough things in their life. They basically would be told, well, well, your problem is because you're a sinner. You sin. Exactly. You're suffering from uh, the effects of sin. And so basically mm-hmm. you just need to get over it. And, and, and by the way, keep working hard uh, at the jobs we give you. Is that does that sound too far off the beaten path there, or is that where, where they no, actually seem to be going? I think that you pretty much articulated that pretty well. Um, like I said, many women came to me um, in my time there and told me that they had suffered, you know, childhood sexual abuse or abuse, physical, emotional abuse um, as a child or even in their adult years. Um, and this wasn't even just the people that um, yeah. were coming out of drug addiction. It was a lot of women. And so I had gone to a gentleman in leadership and asked if we could start a group. Um, and they knew that I had been trained to work with women um, that had suffered like that. Um, and there's a biblical way to to invite Jesus into those wounds um, and to seek truth and life into the women and also show them biblically how there is hope and that and how God feels about it and, and to heal and to see, you know, how we've developed self-protective measures and that we don't need to do that. So there's there's a biblical way to address this and um, help them heal. Um, but I was told um, the first, at first that the person seemed to be on board with it. And then a couple of days later, I was told, no, we don't really want to do that because we don't want to focus on the abuse. Yeah. And what gave these men the authority? Or what gave them the ability to understand the needs of people in abuse? It was just that they were, they were spiritual leadership, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I do in my heart now, I believe um, they lacked emotional maturity. I also believe that a lot of them had had some trauma, some kind of trauma in there. I mean, most people have some kind of trauma, honestly. Um, but they had, you know, I think I knew that there was some, some severe issues. Um, one elder had lost a, um, his father. I mean, they had some wounds. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how they dealt with their own wounds and their own traumas. Um, but it did seem like there was a lot of emotional immaturity at that time. Right. So like an emotional coldness, like there's absolutely no empathy whatsoever. And, and absolutely. In, in fact, there seemed like a revulsion uh, towards those who who seem to be just falling short. Absolutely. Wow. So Glassstone was supposed to be this haven of healing and bustling outreach for winning souls, but all the effort leaders require the members for all that they they made them do. There apparently was something quite entire entirely different wasn't it? They just basically looked apart. Right. I think what basically what would happen um, is if somebody came into the Lazarus program, um, you know, people would read the Bible with them, um, pray with them. Uh, Detox was obviously it was horrendous. Um, There was one nurse and um, a pharmacist um, that lived in, that live in community. They kind of oversaw some of that stuff. Um, but they listened to a lot of teachings of David Paulson and they started either if they were a man, they'd start on, um, landscaping or, 
um, the construction within the community, or they would start, if it was a woman, it would be with hospitality, and they would start that rigorous schedule that I told you about earlier as soon as possible. And, right. I mean, I've watched women um, suffering with detox, um, like literally laying on the floor. You know, they're supposed to be cleaning a house, like laying on the floor in the fetal position uh, during detox. Right, right. And um, I know that there's some other people that you're you're going to be talking to, um, and they're very, they would know a lot more about the men. Um, there is a slight difference sometimes, but I, you know, there's a definite uh, separation between men and women in community. In what way? So I wasn't privy to a lot of that. Um, men, well, whether it's taught or whether it's learned. There is a culture of women are to submit to all men, um, not just their husbands, not just to male leadership. Um, and the women talk about it. Um, I know one woman who is, you know, she leads a, a huge group and she's conflicted when, you know, there's when she's working on a project and men are working on a project, um, but she needs to submit to the men so there's definitely within the culture that all women submit to all men and um that's not obviously not biblical um right they are not allowed to date i mean they will get called out um and have a a strong talking to like if a man and a woman are hanging out too much even in public absolutely nothing going on wrong whatever um, yeah, they, they're not allowed to do that. Right. So everyone's, everyone obviously is, is being orchestrated. You know, there are roles you're meant to play and places you're meant to be and, uh, things that you're supposed to do. And, uh, you just need to be basically be a drone, uh, a worker drone, uh, in, in a large hive, a massive collective. Uh, and you're actually just, just, just supposed to fill your place and regardless of, of what you're struggling with. I mean, that's the strange thing. What, what does, when, when, when they study, when the, when the Bibles are opened and when the prayers are made and when people interact and share, and, uh, it sounds to me that if you're a person struggling with that kind of problem of a deep inner wounding, like, you know, a man struggling with his sexual orientation, perhaps, or a young woman who's, like I said, who's struggling with uh, a very, you know, dark past of sexual abuse or, or, or whatever, uh, that those sort of problems are, are pretty much cut and dried and, and dealt with on the spot. And that, and that yes. there aren't any actual resources coming out of group teaching that address those specific things. They're just, just meant to really basically tough it out uh, and, and smile and look the part. Well, and there's really not a lot of time. I mean, when I went there, I had left my husband, my family. Um, I did take my daughter with me. But when I, I mean, I had left my husband and my marriage. And there there's no time to grieve. Um, you're literally busy. I, I, I say that I lived on adrenaline for two years. Um, there's not time to process, um, wounds and pain and, and things like that. Well, why did you leave your husband after, I mean, you sound like you love this man and you're deeply committed to him after all you went through. Why did you leave him? 
Um, well, like I said, I wanted to be obedient to Jesus. And um, so when David Paulson, he had come to Cincinnati, they, Mary Mott and Gladstone were very much connected at that time. They, they flew David Paulson in for a week or so. Um, and he, the, what he believes is that, um, so we know that when you're married, you become one flesh. And so he's against divorce, which a lot of people are, it's pretty mainstream. Um, okay. So let's say if you get a divorce and you remarry, then you are in, I think they call it perpetual um, adultery. So every time that you are with your second spouse, third spouse, or whatever, that's an act of adultery. Um, and even if this the person that you're married to, they had never been married before, um, you're actually making them an adulterer as well. And so they're going to hell and you're going to hell. And But the only way to walk out repentance is to leave like the second marriage or third marriage or whatever. Um, and they do not believe in any of the exception clauses or anything like that. Okay. Um, so, so in my desire to be obedient to Jesus, um, I left my husband because I had been married before and, um, and I remarried and I was married to Tom and I didn't want him going to hell and I didn't want to go to hell. Um, so I left my husband to walk out repentance and that's wow. when I moved to community. And that's, a, that's a teaching that the well-known charismatic Bible teacher, David Pawson, pushed. And it was something that was, a, that was a, a basically enthusiastically embraced by the Marymount Community Church as well as Gladstone when they were both really closely working together in the early 2010s, right? Well, David Paulson publicly never goes as far as to say that you have to leave um, the second marriage. He gets very close to it, and then he says it's between you and the Holy Spirit. Um, now, Zach has told me privately that David Paulson told the, all of them privately that um, that's how he truly believed is you had to walk, you had to leave the marriage to walk out repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mary wow. Mont, they, they struggled with walking that out. Um, they were more, they were an older, more established church. Um, so they really struggled with that and um, community, um, the community doesn't make this public, by the way. The, um, that's only, I mean, there's like, the, they don't talk about this on their podcast or anything like that. They don't talk about it from the, um, the front of the church or anything like that. Um, but this, this issue is what caused a huge divide between Gladstone and Marymount. Okay. Community church. I see. So this is what was the beginning of their, from what I understand, their their division, like you said, because it wasn't long after that, you know, they were doing even joint services, and then not long after that, they discontinued that, and that was you're saying the the the, the precipitating reason. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that. I mean, I wasn't a part of it, but I was told from multiple different people, like there were screaming matches over this issue. Um, I didn't actually know that, um, I'm not really sure where Dennis, the pastor there has landed. Um, Zach had told me that, um, 
he didn't agree with Dennis because Dennis had allowed people that were divorced and remarried um, in places of leadership within their church. Um, I don't really know where they all landed. I'd also been told that, you know, maybe Dennis did believe the, the way Gladstone did, but his church wasn't ready to accept the truth. Mm-hmm. And so he was gradually trying to get them there. I honestly, I don't, I had not had that conversation with Dennis, so I don't know. Right. It's hard to know what absolute truth is because there's so many lies in community. So I can tell you like what I've been told. I just don't know. I think that Zach is a master manipulator and, and, yeah, and he's brilliant and that, and he's, he's brilliant and he's dangerous because, and people don't get that because what they see, you know, like if they see a picture of him or if they, if he's preaching, he looks like Jesus, you know, like the pictures of Jesus. Yeah. The perfect mannerism. Yeah. Right. And he is, you know, everybody's like, well, you don't have a charismatic leader. I'm like, he doesn't need a charismatic leader. He's got Sebastian. Um, and he's got BVK and that, that's the charismatic part of it. I mean, Sebastian and BVK are, are like his henchmen. And like, if you'll see like articles or like if there's meeting notes, you'll see like parents have, met with, you know, when to meet with community, Zach will never meet with a parent or a group of religious or Christian leadership from outside a community. He will not. Most people don't even know what Zach looks like outside a community. Well, that's really a form of discipline that, uh, that they were really apparently, into. and apparently by this point, Glassstone was already leaning towards, uh, you know, some pretty heavy handed uh, instances of that and certainly, uh, latching out of teaching like David Paulson's and, uh, to, em- to emphasize that kind of, uh, of a rigid control just seemed to be, you know, a, a part of the game plan. I mean, you know, with a group of young men and women struggling to live in community together, it's understandable that disagreements are going to rise and problems will emerge and have to be resolved. And apparently that was one way they did that, but, um, there were other instances in which Gladstone members were faced with threats of shunning and excommunication over matters that were seemingly quite arbitrary. Uh, for us, uh, you, you saw instances of that as well. That just seemed to be part of what was going on there as they got harder and harder. Oh, right. Well, I mean, when you're in there, you kind of just, you believe what you're told. Um, somebody would leave. And then all of a sudden you're told, you know, they had severe mental illness or they went back to their drug addiction or they were a center in love with the world or, you know, all of these things. Um, and you kind of believe it. And so, and a lot of people leave on Thursday night while everybody else is at the Bible study or Sunday morning while everybody is at church. And, you know, you always like, you know, when you're in there, you, you know, everybody's talking about why would they do it that way? This, you know, it's not loving. It's not, um, it's not the right way to leave a church. And, you know, we all kind of got angry with them. Um, and then. So people would wait there, to leave. People would wait to actually leave. I mean, abandon, uh, Gladstone, uh, while everybody was moving. Is that what you're saying? Oh, I would say 95% of the people that leave community do it on Thursday night or Sunday morning. Wow. At the time and in which the community is supposed to be rising to its best, right? Right. And I will say that it looks like 
they just randomly got up Sunday morning and decided to leave, or they had a plan that they never shared with anybody. But that is absolutely furthest thing from the truth. Most of us try to um, leave in a loving way. One, you know, most of, a lot of us want to stay connected to to them. That's our fa- I mean, that's where our family. We we all yeah. love those people. We miss them desperately. Yeah. Um, Sure. But I mean, one, you know, the horror stories of people when they decide to leave and they tell leadership what they go through, the abuse that they go through um, is extremely traumatic. Um, so, yeah, they tried to do it right by, you know, going to leadership and things like that. Um, and then it is so incredibly ugly that the only way they can get out is to sneak out, basically. And the ugliness is coming from coming down from the top down from Zach on down, right? There, what, what are some of the things they would they would talk to them about? I mean, I, obviously they've heard of instances in which in which people try to do it, but what what would what would leadership say to those who say they just can't deal with the problems anymore? I mean, there is obviously very little compassion about it, right? What would they say? Well, I can tell you my own experience. Um, and now that I've talked to so many other people, I was, I had, was shocked to find out that all of our experience is very similar. And my daughter, since we had moved in there, had um, her health, her physical health and her emotional health had gone down a lot. Um, and I had been praying and praying and praying about it. And I really believed because I lived in a house where we either had six to eight women. Um, some of us had very strong personalities, and I will say I'm one of them. Um, but we were one of the busiest houses as well. We um, we would take in, you know, people coming in from Mexico or people visiting community. Um, I'm just going to say we were extremely busy. Um, I will also say that my house had a lot of tension in it um, between leadership. Um, it, was a, it was a stressful house. Mm. But... Um, so it was on my heart that I needed to get Gabrielle out of that house. And um, I still wanted to, we still wanted to, I wanted to run homeschool. Um, I, you know, Gabrielle was still going to go to homeschool there. We were going to worship together, go to all the meetings, um, be completely involved, except that when we got off work, I wanted to take her to my cousin's house where it was a lot calmer and a lot quieter. So she could just, relax and chill um at least you know three or four hours a night um and so um I told her that and I don't blame her at all for telling um um, another woman in leadership and Zach um I would have done the same thing if I was her um but I told her that and Zach came into homeschool and he was livid and he demanded that I leave homeschool right then and come over to his house. And I walked in and my daughter and um, another woman was there. And Zach, um, in, the, in the first hour, he, um, he called me evil, yelled at me, told me I was evil three times. In front of my daughter, he repeated how dangerous I was for my daughter. Um, I was in the sin of fear, unrepentant fear of man. Um, it 
I can't even, I can't, it's really hard to articulate. Um, once you've been in that situation, how difficult is an understatement for that conversation that I have with Zach. So I went from, um, running homeschool, discipling other women, um, you know, loved and being, you know, and loving, um, these people. And then all of a sudden, when I say that I just, I, I didn't want to leave the church. I, I still wanted to stay a covenant member. Um, I just wanted to move out of a woman's house with my daughter for her mental and physical health. Um, all of a sudden within 24 hours, I was labeled crazy, um, mentally unstable, um, evil, dangerous. Um, so I was really confused when some of the other people wanted me to come back. Um, I was very confused. There was a week in there. I, I just want to say as true as possible, but it, it's hard. Um, my son was in Guatemala. He begged me to stay until he got back from Guatemala. When he got back, um, it ended up, it wasn't what I thought, you know, he had expressed on the phone. He was supporting me. And then when he came back, I don't know what happened, but he changed. And, uh, but I couldn't understand why they wanted me to come back because, and run homeschool and be a part of their community. If I was so evil and so dangerous and so crazy, um, I just couldn't understand it. Um, well, originally, you got. Yeah, well, well, there's usage for people like you. I mean, they understood what kind of a servant's heart you had, and they understood the gifts and the compassion and, and just basically the high moral fiber that you were. And even though you were evil, uh, they needed they needed someone in there who actually was going to carry the kind of load that they assumed that they needed to have carried. And uh, that's that's not that's not an uncommon thing among many other movements like Gladstone, where where people wow. are, are are just are just you know verbally pistol whipped and made to feel like they're they're like they're pond scum, you know. And uh, but then at the same time, they're recognized for. Uh, what labor they actually do and, and filling a hole like yours would have been impossible. That's why suddenly you were still quite valuable at that point or useful. Maybe it's a more important word. I know this all sounds terribly cold, but I'm just trying, <laughs> trying to maybe help right. out help make understanding that this is how movements like this place work. This is how they run people down and destroy them. Oh, well, um, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, the the anxiety, the mental health issues, the depression, um, the the obsession about suicide. Um, there are there's so many people that are so broken in community. It is um, there's one girl she can't even park on Grace Avenue for fear she'll run into somebody in leadership. That's how high her anxiety is and her fear of leadership. And, and what people, and this, and how I found out, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because a lot of people don't know. I was watching people, leadership, not eldership, but leadership, um, having to be taken to different mental health facilities and staying for a week or two. Um, and these are the people in leadership. These are the house leaders. Um, they were they were getting so broken down that they were needing to do that. And the strange thing is, is most people in community don't even know that. It's you know like when somebody disappears for a week or two, 
they just will never find out the truth that they were at the Lindner Center for two weeks. Wow. So they're institutionalizing even leaders who are struggling with the brokenness that this system had put them in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's not even just the people, you know, the hair, the people that are coming off heroin that are struggling. It is most of the people um, that are struggling. Um, I know of a house pastor just, you know, just with not, I mean, this has been since I've left. Um, people do call me. They sneak and call me. They're not allowed to call me. They're not allowed to have contact with me, but they do. And so I do hear things. Um, when people come out, they tell me things. So, I mean, I know that there is a woman in there right now that she is in leadership and she confesses and she prays against suicide every single night. Oh, gosh. Wow. This is, wow. I mean, I, the last guest we had on our podcast, was an ex-leader from Xenos Christian Fellowship, as they call themselves, and right up the street there from you in Columbus. His name is Oliver Long. I mean, uh, anyone who's been listening to our podcast recognizes they would have heard his, his absolutely horrific testimony to having struggled with exactly the same thing. Even while he was this leader, that was that was putting together uh, a powerhouse, you know, uh, house group together and, and leading a bunch of men through Bible studies and, and, and apparently being in some ways quite effective and yet struggling within himself, feeling exactly the same thing, completely run down, broken, empty, uh, absolutely hopeless. Uh, and, and, and he emphasized it's not, it wasn't necessarily anything that 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 he was doing other than feeling the guilt impressed upon him by a very sick system of control oh i experienced that um i guess you would call it searing your conscience there was one summer that i was there and it was pretty much my responsibility um to take women certain women some in leadership some not out of their comfort zone and to make them cling to Jesus. Um, I wasn't real, I wasn't real liked that summer. Let's just say that, (laughs) um, by quite a few women. Um, but I will say, um, there was, there was one woman in particular, then she's, she's left that since then. And I have been blessed. Um, I have asked her forgiveness and, um, I have taught her more about the grace and mercy of God. Um, and the love and how a leader should be, um, not, not what she experienced. And the Lord has restored that relationship in a powerful way. Wonderful. But I did have to, I went back and one of the saddest emails I wrote is I wrote to this one woman and I asked her forgiveness and I said, um, I was blessed to serve you, um, because I was discipling her and, I have to ask your forgiveness because I was too harsh and I was too controlling and, you know, all those things. And I asked her for forgiveness. And here's the saddest thing in her response. She emailed me back and she said, it's okay, Christy. I deserved it. I needed it. And that is the response of an abused woman. Yeah. 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 That's just one testimony uh, to what, to what's going on there, to what is what is mm-hmm. actually happening there, and um, 
people who leave, I mean, it's something that Scott said so well, so terribly well last week or a couple weeks ago, a couple podcasts ago, uh, it was that, you know, most people could go in into a, when people leave a, uh, a regular church, they can move on and go someplace else and get assimilated pretty quickly. When they, when people leave Gladstone, they are absolutely broken, shattered. Uh, I mean, devastated pieces. And, uh. Every, every one of them. Yeah. What, what, what would Gladstone's response, if, if Zach was listening to us, what would he tell us? Why, why are people feeling this way? What, what, what would be his standard response? Because there is a standard response they would have for that. And, and what would it be? It's because we're in sin and we broke covenant and we left community because we were in love with the world and um, our own sin and we wouldn't submit. Yeah, right. So, and that's just, again, a glib off the off the cuff kind of, you know, all encompassing dismissal of what individuals mm-hmm. go through. It's just that you're, you're wrong and you're sinful. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, right. and- go ahead. And out of all the people that have left and since the beginning, like 12, 13 years, literally, I, I mean, I'm going to give it 10 people that are still allowed to communicate with people in community and community communicates with them. There, I mean, that it's allowed and 10 is actually a generous number. They're allowed to talk Every- to you. Mm, they're not allowed to talk to me, but there's probably maybe five to ten people that have left that people are allowed to talk to okay. from the community. They're not allowed to talk to me. Well, and and I suppose those 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 orders came down from Zach on down. I'm sure. Yeah. And why why would they be afraid to talk to you though? I mean, what 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 would be their position? Is because basically you're a sinner and you're you can't be trusted or. You know, or you're a well, traitor. It's, it's kind of interesting. My situation is, is kind of different. Um, so in the beginning when I left, nobody was allowed to talk to me and I was only allowed to talk to like Sebastian or whatever, um, which is my son. Um, until I went to inpatient mental health for two weeks because I was so mentally unstable. So I went to um, two, three different um, doctors asking for blood work and everything because I, I believed the lie. You know, they told me I was crazy. So I was like, okay. So I, I tried to convince these doctors, I'm crazy. You know, is it hormonal? What is wrong with me? I am crazy. These people tell me that I'm crazy and I need to go inpatient and they both were like, honey, it's, it's, it's not you, it's them. And I was, and so then I went to one secular therapist and two Christian counselors and I got the same thing from them. Um, it's not you, it's them. And so, um, they, you know, I had told some people in community that, so they sort of came off of that, um, a little bit. Um, and then sometimes it's about the divorce and remarriage because I went back to my husband. So I'm in sin and I'm an adulteress. And so that's another reason that they said that, you know, I'm disfellowshipped or whatever. They've called me a liar. But at one point I, um, texted Sebastian and I said, 
you know, you call me a liar, but here's the thing. If you want, you hire somebody to administer a lie detector test. You do the, you know, that you have them do the lie detector test. You write the questions. I'll pay for it. I'll drive to Cincinnati and I'll take your lie detector test. Um, and um, so basically somebody that's left since then was in the room when Sebastian uh, received the text and basically they just laughed at it. Um, they did, and it wasn't so I could, you know, like regain my own, you know, I wanted respect or believability. I wanted to put in their faces, this is what you're accusing me of. I want you to look at truth because the Bible is very clear. Only the truth will set you free. Um, so that didn't happen. And then, um, a lot of people that didn't really agree with this one, and um, they were scared that this would hurt too badly. But, um, at the, at one point, because I love my son, I love him so much mm-hmm. and I'm much more concerned about his eternity. Um, so I'm, they were calling me disfellowshipped. Um, but they hadn't walked out Matthew 18 completely. I had been confronted, you know, in their eyes, singly, singularly. And I'd also been, you know, by more than two believers, but they hadn't actually taken me in front of the church and, you know, laid out their case, um, in front of everybody. Right. Which is what, and, Matthew, which is what the words of Jesus in Matthew 18 in direction for those who are unfamiliar with this term. Uh, Jesus indicates that this is what should be done when you're dealing with somebody who's causing trouble within a uh, spiritual mm-hmm. community, uh, that, that, as that people should be ready to confront one another and, and, and admonish one another. And, and you're, and what you're saying is that was completely ignored in your case and as well as many others, I'm sure. Well, I asked, I volunteered. I said, I will drive, I will run to that congregation. If my son is going to disfellowship me, I want him to do it biblically. Um, but that never happened. And as, as far as I know, I only know of possible two disfellowships done that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm fuzzy on those details, but yeah. from all yeah. the other people, the many, many people that are technically, you know, disfellowship, they've never been taken through Matthew 18. Right. And, and, and well, doing things biblically is hardly the concern of many Christian cults, although they want to see seem like like it is, and sadly, uh, it's not. So, so they had me convinced I was a danger to my daughter. So it took me a couple months to insist that she was I was going to take her out of there because she was still underage. Um, I believed for a long time, and I know this is so hard for people to believe that not, haven't been in this situation, but I was believing the lie that, um, for some reason that I was not aware of, I was a danger to her. And so I didn't force the issue, but as the healing began and I started talking to counselors and everything and, and I started, the fog started to lift, um, I made a decision I was going to get her out of there. And, um, I texted them multiple times. I texted, tried to call people in leadership. I tried to call my daughter. Nobody answered. Um, and say, saying, I'm coming to get you tonight. And nobody responded. Um, so it ended up, long story short, I had to call the Cincinnati Police Department, um, and get their help. And they went into the church and got Gabrielle for me. Um, but unfortunately, 
um, the day before her 18th birthday, Sebastian came to, um, and got her and I've never seen her since. Hmm. You've not seen her since? No, I have not spoken to her or, um, seen her in over three years. Oh goodness. Wow. Yeah. And if you know for a fact that she's still in the community somewhere, but they're just keeping her from you. Um, they have completely rewritten her history. Um, I'm not really sure why, but in emails that she and Sebastian have sent me, um, for some reason she's very scared of me and I'm not real sure what that is. Um, the history has been completely rewritten. Um, and so I had to come back to other family members. Um, fortunately my best friend down here and her best friend, um, were mother and daughter. So we spent a lot of time together and I even had to go to her and say, listen to, was, was I delusional and that Gabrielle and I's relationship was as bad as they're telling her it was. And, um, everybody said that that wasn't even close. We, we had a good relationship. She was a teenage girl and I was her mom. And obviously we had conflicts with that. You know, it's just the normal mom and teenage thing. But the way that they have, um, reframed Gabrielle's history, um, and the lies that she's believing, um, and I know that it has caused an incredible emotional toll on her. Um, I do know that she has had to go and go to inpatient, mental health inpatient, um, I think more than once. Um, one time she couldn't even talk or refused to talk for three days, and that is a huge trauma response. Um, and I only find this out through other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, children in, in movements like Glassstone and cults, uh, cults use children as bargaining chips and they're used as, as pawn in a very ugly form of, of chess by which they're trying to, to, to basically checkmate you and get you in a corner where you can't escape. And, and you are just, you know, someone who you can't, who isn't going to give them that, that opportunity. Uh, you're still wandering free. Thank God that, and you're able to, to go and, and maneuver, uh, which is more than what they can do. But, uh, certainly, you know, time will tell how far much for longer their, their indoctrination certainly is going to go. But, uh, certainly that's what's going on. They, they certainly have that, like you said, have rewritten within them, uh, the narrative within her. And that's not uncommon in places like cults or, or any broken family in which a family member is, is trying to force, uh, a child or, or a, uh, or a minor to align up with their will. That happens quite frequently. I have a good friend of mine was, was a very good helper and, very, and wonderful supporter of our ministry, uh, loves his daughters dearly, wonderfully. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's raised them up since they were born and, um, his, his now ex-wife turned against him and turned against their marriage and did some, some absolutely horrible things to under, undercut their relationship and along the way uh, basically turned the daughters against him. And he's the most inoffensive and loving of men I've ever known. And for, 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 for her children, for his children to say the things that they have said to him, 
just shows that there's a there, there you know there's there's a uh, there's a puppet master's hand behind that. So that's what's going on there, and that's what's what's obviously something that uh, that uh, uh, Sebastian and others there are orchestrating. And um, so that's something that I think um, is, again, another sign of just to what extent groups like that will go to uh, to maintain control and, and manipulate lives. I have a great example of that. Um, over a year ago, um, Sebastian called me out of nowhere, and I was so surprised because they're not they don't speak to me. Um. And he said, Mom, um, would you like, and this is his words exactly, a possible cordial relationship? <laughs> and I, of course, yes. And so I drove to Cincinnati to meet with him. Um, but when it came down to it, I was allowed to have a possible cordial relationship with Sebastian as long as I gave up all my other relationships um, of people that had come out of community, yeah. even my biblical counselor, I was not allowed to speak mm. to any of them if I wanted a possible cordial sure. relationship with him. Sure. Yeah. And that's totally understandable because they are threats. They're absolute right. threats. They are people that, that, that Gladstone can't control, that Sebastian and Zach cannot silence. I mean, they're public positions and they don't defend themselves because they, they just, they're, they're too busy to, to actually address these things. But, but in essence, they have they're nothing to stand on. They really don't. So that, that's one of the reason, main reasons, you know, like I said, we're doing these podcasts is because we're giving people who have been victimized a chance to speak out and make their stories known. And, and that kind of, that level of negotiation uh, is just, <laughs> For for a, for a son to dictate to a mother what they intend to do, uh, with 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 the with such a a weighty matter as uh, controlling uh, what people say about the questionable association he's in, really just speaks volumes about about where they're at. And I, I I'm I'm so sorry to hear that, and I'm certain that my I'm certain you know, we have. I mean, my wife and I and others in our ministry have been praying for those in class, especially for you. But we will certainly continue to do that. And uh, the story's not over. It's not over. As we always say here around here, where, where there is life, there truly is hope. And that's why we are we are certainly doing what we can to let people know that not all that not all that glitters is gold uh, there in Gladstone. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share all this and. Uh, how are you doing now? What's 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 been life for you been like since you have have made that break and and, and having to deal with these with these absolutely horrific visitations that your 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 son and, and others are, are trying to lay upon you uh, to to extort you into silence and to control. Uh, how are you doing now? Uh, what's 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 life finding you now? Um. I tell people that this has been um, all glory to God. If somebody would have told me 10 years ago that I would actually be functioning um, with two of my children not speaking to me and the accusations that have come 
I really thought it would have taken me out. I mean, literally just taken me out and I wouldn't have even been able to function or live in any way. It is truly, truly by the grace of God. Um, he sent people in, into my life at the perfect timing to speak truth and love into my life. Um, I spent, I spent a lot of time with my father, heavenly father, getting to know him. Um, my relationship is, is so much deeper and richer. Um, and I'm still in ministry. I'm still serving women coming out of sex trafficking, abuse, um, and addiction, just hurting women. But he's used that experience that I went through to make me better um, at serving these women. I am much more gentle. I am much more patient. Um, he has used it uh, for my good and his glory. Um, I, I can't tell you that I don't cry. Uh, um, at least, at least once a month, if not more, I have to have a really, really good cry. Something will trigger it and, um, I'll cry, but there's, there's something new and there's a peace and a joy and a hope and a trust in that God is doing a good work and that he actually loves my children and those people in community even way more than I could. Mm-hmm. And I, I trust now that he's doing, he's working. Um, there's so many people now that want to receive these people to help them, whether they're in community or out, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. financially, emotionally, spiritually, right. um, God is good. God is very Amen. good. Amen. Yes, he is. And that is a, a note of hope because really we are hoping, I'm actually, we are certain that these podcasts are going to be heard by people in Gladstone. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to, sure. them. They're going to be listening to them. And that is something we want, we would want them to know is that, that there is life beyond, um, uh, that, that, uh, very cold orthodoxy. They, you may have a, a pure doctrine, but you have horrific examples and you have a wolf in sheep's clothing guiding you. Uh, that's no, yes. that's not a flock of God there. Uh, that's become a seat of Satan. And, and unfortunately, uh, you've been taught that there's no other place to go. Well, there is. There's many other places to go. Uh, but, but your, your, your future beyond Gladstone, whoever you are, is as bright as the promises of God. And one Absolutely. man, one pack of young men who have limited life experience and are so bent into themselves simply are no, <laughs> they're no leaders. Uh, they're no leaders no. whatsoever. And, uh, there's, there's much you need to learn about that. And so I, I really hope and pray you'll keep studying and you'll keep listening to what we know God is, is doing to speak to you directly. Uh, you know, Christy, you, you've done a wonderful, a wonderful service in helping us today and, and helping us see things as they are there. Uh, in closing, what would you like to say? You know, like I said, I know you've already said a lot, but what I want to give you an opportunity well, on, on, on maybe providing something you'd like to say to those who may be in the community who actually may be listening. What would you, what message would you like to share with them? And, and what message would you also like to share to others who have been abused and are, and are, and are struggling with what Gladstone's done in their lives? So there's actually two people. There's people who are in, the people who are out and wounded. What would you say uh, to, to each of those groups uh, as, as it may be? A closing thought or, or, or reference. Maybe, uh, maybe Sebastian will be listening. What would you like to say? Tom, I'll give you the, give you the floor for however long you want to take. Thank here. you. Um, my prayer is that, um, they turn back to Jesus. They go back to their first love. 
Um, unfortunately, um, every, people that are coming out and people that are in their salvation is now connected to community. Um, it's about, it's about community. It's about protecting community. Um, but that's not truth. Turn your eyes back to Jesus and he is, he's there to heal. He is, he is our hope. Um, keep fighting the good fight. Keep going towards Jesus. Um, stay in the light. Um, my biggest prayer for leadership is that they would repent um, and publicly repent um, and start serving Jesus instead of leadership and themselves. Um, and let there be a, let us in, let the people in that love them so much. Um, we would, we would all love to help them walk out this repentance. We love them. We miss them dearly. Um, I, and it's not just my children. Um, I have people in there that I, I miss my heart aches for them and every single one of us, um, that have left and we've had this, these conversations, uh, we see pictures and we cry, we miss them. We love them. Um, we have, you know, we laugh and talk about, you know, some of the good things that happened in community. We're not trying to, um, hurt or, um, condemn or lie about community or anything like that. We mm-hmm. love them. We love them so much. We want them to walk in the freedom that Jesus died for. They don't need to be in bondage with anxiety and depression and shame and condemnation. Jesus died to set us free. Mm-hmm. That's what I want them to know. Amen to that. And on that note, we will certainly uh thank you for stopping by today and uh and of course we're gonna put a caveat on this to be continued because certainly christine this won't be the uh christine won't, won't be the last time we want to have you here but uh this is just a, an initial initial uh uh serving of what wisdom i believe you've been given in, in an unfortunately very harsh way but uh such perspective is is gained for a reason and i thank you for making part of that open to us here today. Thank you so very, very much. And we will look forward Raphael, to having you back thank again. You. We thank you. And we're so grateful for everything that you're doing. Well, thank you. It's, it's our pleasure to serve. Uh, it's our desire to see the truth of the gospel upheld. And, and as you said, the real Jesus known and loved. Uh, what, what, what Zach and others and Sebastian and others are, are following is another Jesus. They are preaching another gospel. They are being energized by another spirit, and none of it is holy. None of it is of God. And 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 this is what the Apostle Paul was warning in Second Corinthians chapter eleven. And it would be a good, probably mm-hmm. a good idea for some of you in Gladstone to pull your Bibles out next time and read that chapter for a while and learn a few things aside from the the little the little uh, leashes that you've been tied down to uh staked down by by Gladstone to run to run and study only this and only that look beyond what you've been taught and listen to the holy spirit he will be heard of you if you will stop and listen thank you once again christy thank you so very much for this evening's uh insight thank you Raphael. good night Indeed, we do want to send special thanks to Christy for her extraordinary courage in sharing out of what is certainly the most uniquely and agonizing personal struggle anyone can grapple with, that being a cult survivor whose son 
is part of a twisted inner core of the very cult she's left, an inner core of religiously abusive leaders whose so-called ministry is destroying the lives of so many. All of us here at Spirit Watch Ministries certainly join in prayer for her family within Gladstone and for the light to shine ever brighter on their doings to warn, expose, and call it to accountability. Zach, God knows who and what you are. Be careful for what he's certainly going to say to you in that day of days when you stand to give account. It's not going to go very well for you. Your comic book fancies energizing your myth-making won't testify for you. Be very, very certain of that. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going. Our prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened and, if necessary, challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org. And if you need urgent personal spiritual help, email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.